I've got a hot take for all of my listeners here today. Going to blow your socks off. Okay, listeners? The Bourne series is overrated. I'm sorry. Okay? I watched him recently, and it took me a little bit to kind of form this opinion. The Bourne series, which is ultimatum, identity, supremacy, not in that order. I think of those as the the trio, the trilogy, if you will. I don't really count the other movies because I haven't, well, one, I haven't seen them. And it doesn't really feel like, it felt like the trilogy should have ended there. You know what I mean? After the third one. And I can't remember the names of each one. I know Identity is the first one. And then I believe Ultimatum is the second one. And then the third one is Supremacy. Those two I get mixed up all the time, though. Um, But I think they're overrated. I do. I think they're overrated. And I apologize to my listeners. If you're big action fans, you're big Bourne fans, I apologize. Apparently, there's enough fans out there of the Bourne series that they're willing to make another more recent movie just called I think it was just called Jason Bourne, right? It brought back Matt Damon. They had one with Jeremy Renner there for a little bit. Um, I think that was one movie that was a couple of years ago with Jeremy Renner. And then they just recently came out with Jason Bourne. And that was three, four years ago, maybe something like that. So I guess there's enough fans of the Bourne franchise that will go and see these movies that they were like, you know what? Let's just make a what fifth one, a fifth movie just called Jason Bourne. I guess that's that's crazy to me that there's enough fans of it. I wouldn't have expected that, but you know what? I'm here to say I apologize. I believe the Bourne movies are overrated. First one's really good. I really like the first one. I think Identity is a really cool um, kind of spy spy thriller, if you will, about a man trying to find his identity after having it uh, kind of taken from him, quote unquote. Um, and I think that one's a very interesting movie, and it's a lot of fun and a, a good, interesting plot that kind of keeps you going. And then um, you could tell that Matt Damon's character Jason Bourne um, kind of has a human side to him, but then spoiler alert for um, the Bourne series, they kill his wife after the first one, they kill him or kill her early in the second one. And then after that, he just kind of feels less human and connected to um, the rest of the world. He kind of turns to me anyways, he kind of turns more robotic and becomes more of just the robotic killer that is Jason Bourne. And I, to me, that is less interesting than him having a more human aspect, which is, you know, he, in the, in the, in the second and the third one, he becomes more of a robotic, you know, a revenge killer, if you will, trying to find the people that killed his wife or what have you. And that's mainly the second one. Um, so the first one, it felt like he had a much more human aspect to him. You know, he was trying to find his identity. Um, and then he kind of falls in love with this girl that he's, he's, um, he's, basically running running away with if that makes sense and then in the um, second one the basically the very beginning of the second one she's killed and then it kind of erases his human aspect of his character um he becomes less uh, attached to any human element that comes with you know killing or what have you so born series a little overrated in my opinion um Still, first one, good movie. And you know what I think the Bourne movies were so were so popular? I think it's because, and these movies were coming out like late, the first one came out, I believe, late 90s, like 1998, 1999, I think. And I think that one, they became so popular because the Bond movies were so bad at the time. Pierce Brosnan, love you, Pierce Brosnan. I think he's a good, I think Pierce Brosnan is a good actor overall. He could have made a very good James Bond, but I think all of his movies with that he was James Bond were all bad. Uh, no, no time to die. 
Um, not No Time to Die, sorry. That's the most recent one. Uh, die Another Day, World is Not Enough, um, Tomorrow Never Dies, and then Goldeneye. I don't think they're all that good. I think they're all pretty average. And I think a lot of people were kind of pushed away from the Bond series as kind of the the spy action thriller um, that the, you know, the British community basically dominated thanks to the James Bond series uh, up until this point. And then we got Jason Bourne and Jason Bourne was just better than anything else that came out at that time in terms of James Bond. So it's interesting, you know, and then, you know, and then we got Casino Royale with Daniel Craig and then uh, Skyfall with Daniel Craig. We don't talk about Quantum of Souls. Uh, Skyfall and then um, Spectre was okay. And then Die Another Day. Uh, or not Die Another Day. God, no time to die. God, they all have the same names, you know? It's hard to remember them. Um, and those are all great. All the Daniel Craig movies. Not all of them. Three of five of them, I'd say, are pretty good. Uh, Skyfall is probably my favorite James Bond movie. And then Casino Royale is right there as well. So then kind of James Bond comes back in, pushes himself back into the mix, and then people kind of forget about the spy thriller other than James Bond, and now he's on top of the world. But there was that time, the time in the late 90s, that early 2000s period, where the Bourne movies were supreme, you know, the the king of um, spy thriller movies. Mission Impossible as well, those were good spy thriller movies. They weren't nearly as good. I mean, the, the first one's pretty good as just a spy thriller, and then they kind of get out of whack for the uh, the second one. The third one's okay. Um, but, you know, the third one's a little later on. That one's like 2006, 2007. So, um, but the Bourne movies kind of, sat on top of the world there for that short period of time. And then, and then Casino Royale came out in 2007 and took back over. Hey, this is a sports podcast, isn't it? Hey, welcome to the, <laughs> welcome to the weekend sports rap podcast. I'm James Timberlake. I don't know why I started with that. I just felt like talking about Bourne uh, because I haven't really talked about that series because I'd recently watched it. Thought it was okay. Maybe a little bit overrated. And that's how we started the episode. So welcome to this sports podcast where we mix in a little bit of movies. You know what? No one's going to complain about it. Who doesn't love movies? Who doesn't love sports? They're all intertwined somehow. And we're talking about movies and sports. That's what we're going to do on this podcast because I love both. So here we are. Uh, welcome to the weekend sports report or weekend sports wrap podcast. Excuse me. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Hey, before we get started here, make sure you like the podcast or subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google podcasts, wherever you listen to them. Give me a, a nice Nice rating, if you wouldn't mind. That really helps me out, uh, gets me on the trending page if we get enough ratings on there, and then subscriptions help my numbers go up as well. So I'd really appreciate that. doesn't cost you any money, maybe just a little bit of time, just a subscription and a rating, and it helps me out a bunch, and I appreciate it so much. Regardless, if you don't do it, appreciate appreciate you listening regardless. So please do that. Thank you so much. We're going to have something of a chill episode i think this week um not a whole lot happened that was crazy news no newsworthy other than you know warriors ended up winning the uh the nba fine the nba championship by the way called it six games warriors i did call that in six games the warriors that was whatever two weeks ago i think i two weeks ago i think i said that on the podcast that i would say warriors and six so you know something of a something of a sports genie myself i should have put money on that but i didn't um but we're going to talk about that a little bit. Not too much because it's kind of been beaten to death. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the NHL playoffs. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the College World Series. And then we'll break down some um, some baseball headlines that happened over the past week. Some interesting ones. Not really interesting, but more um, more like strange ones, I guess, more than anything. They're not, you know, they're not thought provoking or anything like that. They're just more like, how did this happen? 
kind of those things. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about um, the Deshaun. We're going to give an update update on some of the Deshaun Watson news that's come over the uh, over the dial and um, kind of update people on that situation because it is moving along. It's kind of progressing a little bit as we get closer to the NFL season. So let's start off the uh, the uh, Golden State Warriors. They are champions once again. They are they won their fourth NBA title in eight years with their game six win over the Boston Celtics, 103-290. And uh, Steph Curry further cemented his legacy in that W. Uh, They do it again after a historic stretch as the NBA's reigning dynasty, as they have been the past, you know, eight years, basically. Golden State Warriors battled through two years of missed playoffs, injuries, and setbacks to win their fourth NBA title in eight seasons. The Warriors went 16-6 and in the postseason as the Western Conference three seed, concluding with three straight wins after trailing the Celtics in the finals two to one, accumulated with a game six victory in Boston on Thursday night and another ring, the most unlikely for the core group of the Golden State Dynasty. Um, also, something they went 16 and six, they never faced elimination. I believe they won their first series four to two, and then they won it four, and they won the second series four one, and then this one four two as well. So, no, uh, no, uh, I guess they're, I'm, I'm missing a series in there, but they never faced elimination they basically dominated the entire series never had a never had an elimination game in front of them basically won each series throughout never had to worry about facing an elimination game truly a dominant performance from the golden state warriors throughout these playoffs um how game six wasn't the, uh, the, how game six was won in the nba finals however celtics jumped out to a 12 to 2 early lead in game six but the warriors and steph curry who had 34 points, took the air out of TD Garden in a hurry. Golden State went on a 21 to nothing run in the second quarter, most, most of which came with Curry on the bench before extending the league to a, a lead to as many as 22. Boston battled back with a 15 to two run in the third quarter, but the Dubs never let the uh, the lead dwindle below nine points. Golden State hit 19 threes because of course they did, including a flurry down the stretch that sealed the deal with nine with a few minutes ago and the waterworks uh, for Curry and company. Began Steph Curry in game six. He had 34 points, went 12 for 21 um, overall, and then six for 11 from three, seven rebounds, and seven assists as well. He was the uh, 2022 NBA Finals MVP as well. He averaged 28 and a half points per game in the finals while shooting a ridiculous 31 of 71 from three, uh, 43% from the three point line. And that's including a, uh, he had an 0 for 9 game. In game five, and believe it or not, it's Curry's first NBA Finals MVP, and his fourth ring ties him with LeBron James for the most among active players. That's right, Curry's um, Curry's most re- uh, his championships did not include an NBA Finals MVP until this one. The first one, I believe, was Andre Iguodala when they beat uh, when they beat uh, LeBron James in the Cavaliers, and then um, I believe uh, I believe Kevin Durant won two as well when he was there, and now Curry has got his first NBA Finals MVP. So, congrats to them. Um, big win for them, but especially for Steph Curry, everybody kind of, you know, we talk about legacy and all that sort of thing. I always thought Steph Curry's legacy has already kind of been cemented. I think that NBA finals MVP award is super big. Uh, everybody wants to talk about who's driving the bus and that sort of thing. That's been a conversation over the past few weeks as we've talked about, you know, who is the best player on what team and, and how they develop their team into a championship winning team and who's the number one guy in a championship winning team for me Steph Curry I mean that stuff does matter I understand the conversation there it does seem kind of um I don't know rhetorical I guess we could could be the the word when it doesn't really matter when it comes to um 
a dynasty like this. Everybody remembers Michael Jordan, but also everybody remembers Scottie Pippen just as well because he's one of the greatest players of all time as well. Now, he'll always be the number two, granted, to Michael Jordan, and um, that's something that I think affects these guys because their egos, you know, an ego always kind of has a a negative connotation toward it. I don't want it to have a negative connotation when I say that. Their egos do, in fact, when you're when you're brought up the way that they are, where they're the number one, no matter what, you know, high school, college, all the way into the NBA, and then they're told that they're the number two or the number three guy, uh, somebody like Clay Thompson or Draymond Green. When they can kind of get past that, then you really do have something special. No matter where you look down the line, 20, 30 years, if you can say you put aside the fact that you weren't going to be the number one and that you were able to take less shots or less possessions or what have you in order to win a championship, that is the thing that people remember more than any, more than, you know, the fact that you were the number one or the number two. It's the fact that you were able to set aside your differences in order to become the number two, the right-hand man to a guy like Steph Curry um, to win four championships. And that's, I mean, to me, none of the, none of the other stuff really matters. They won the championship regardless. Steph Curry, as it comes to legacy, it's cemented, sure, but he was already great, the greatest shooter of all time, period. Cut and dry. No, Anybody who argues differently, in my opinion, is just plain wrong. You can have a different opinion, but your opinion can also be wrong, and it is wrong. Steph Curry is the best shooter of all time the NBA has ever seen. Four championships as the main ball handler and shooter on this Warriors team, and he'll go down as one of the greatest players of all time, especially after his fourth ring. And who's to say he won't win in a fifth or a sixth? I mean, it's not like this team. I mean, they might get a little bit worse, you know, just because of free agency and that sort of thing and trades and, you know, a bunch of stuff happens in the offseason. But, um, you know, who's to say they won't be back here next year or the year after or what have you? I mean, we we saw the we all thought the dynasty was going to be over just two years ago when uh, Clay Thompson went down with injury and then they got the number one or number two pick in the draft. They were in the lottery and then basically in the lottery back to back years. And now here they are again. And that was after we all thought it was over and here they are again. And who's to say they won't go back next year or the year after. So, you know, his legacy isn't, you know, completed yet. It is cemented. He's a hall of fame, hall of famer, bona fide hall of famer, uh, Draymond green, you know, you have a couple guys on this team that are, you know, uh, borderline Hall of Famers. Draymond Green, probably a Hall of Famer just because of his Defensive Player of the Year nominations and stuff like that, and his wins, obviously. Um, four titles is hard to really pass up if you're um, trying to get on a Hall of Fame ballot. Uh, you know, a starter on a Hall of Fame team and an all-star on these Hall of, on the uh, on the championship teams four times and then Defensive Player of the Year as well. So if you're looking at Hall of Fame ballots, Draymond Green will probably on there. I don't know if he'll get first ballot or anything like that, but I do think he probably gets in. Clay Thompson, he's missed a lot of time, and that will probably hurt his case. Um, he's not exactly the same player, obviously, that he was before, so that's hard to be said as well. Um, so I don't know if he'll get in, per se. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of career left you know, for all, for all these guys, but you know, as it stands right now, I don't think Clay Thompson, I don't think Clay Thompson gets in, but you know, again, a lot of career left to be played. These guys could win six championships for all we know. The the core are going to be coming back. Jordan Poole is going to be back. Draymond Green's probably going to be back. Clay Thompson's probably going to be back. Steph Curry is going to be back. So again, these guys could win five, uh, a fifth and a sixth, who knows? And then, you know, the legacy is really cemented. So we'll see what happens. Um, 
they entered this regular season as a plus 1100 odds to win the title as well. So, you know, they were underdogs even coming into this season. So who knows? We'll see what happens. Um, congrats to the Warriors. They did it. They're NBA champions once again. And, um, you know, kind of a big uh, middle finger to the rest of the league, if you will, thinking that they were kind of counted out thanks to the last few seasons. And they made up for it, winning a 2022 NBA championship. So congrats to them. Uh, moving on here, we've got Stanley Cup playoffs going on, going on as well. The Stanley Cup final going on right now, actually. Uh, the Lightning. Well, let's start with the Avalanche first. The Avalanche jumped out to a 2-0 series lead in this one. Um, they demolished the Lightning in Game 2. It was 7-0 in that game. They won the first game 4-3 in overtime and then absolutely thrashed the Lightning 7-0 in uh, Game 2. And it kind of looked like, it kind of felt like this was teetering on the edge of a blowout, if you will. But then Game 3 happened, and this was on Monday. Um, game 3 happens, and lo and behold... Uh, it's not a blood lightning went six to two over the avalanche. And this is kind of getting the feeling of, uh, the past series, the last series for the lightning where they took on the Rangers. They uh, went down Oh two to the Rangers and they were getting absolutely shredded. And then lo and behold, they won four straight games and they went into the Stanley cup playoff or the Stanley cup final. Um, and it, you know, it looked like it was all over for the Lightning, and here they are again, went six two on their home ice, and all they have to do is win the next game when they're back even, and it's a three game series basically. So um, we'll see what happens there. The Lightning launched a counter strike in Game Three, if you will. Tampa Bay lit the, the lit the lamp six times from the stick of six different skaters, and they got a bounce back performance from goal, goaltender Andre Vasilevsky, who had thirty seven saves in that game. The Lightning poured in four of their own goals in a second period blitz. Home ice has been kind thus far in the finals with home teams now three and zero. The bodes that bodes well for Tampa in games four, game four, and hockey fans can rejoice with a now competitive Cup Finals. It's two one in favor of the Avs, but the Bolts definitely came back to life. There hasn't been a sweep in the Stanley Cup Finals since 1988, and that streak is still alive after Monday night. So there you go. Lightning came back, not really came back. I mean, they're looking to come back in the series, but they completely dominated the Avalanche in that second game or that third game. Excuse me, after the Avalanche dominated the Lightning in that second game, seven to nothing. So. Um, it looks like we're probably going to get a series. Now the avalanche could really, you know, they could win this game, game four, um, on the road in Tampa and really put, uh, really put Tampa, uh, on thin ice, if you will, no pun intended. Um, and then avalanche go back home for a game five, if they win that game four and they could seal the cup uh, on game five, but they have to win that game four in order to get to a game five at home where they could seal it. So who knows, uh, two, two, it's two, one right now. Lightning win on end game four, it's two, two. And then again, it's a three game series to decide the Stanley cup. So hopefully the avalanche win, obviously location bias, cool to see a team in Denver, uh, like the avalanche in Colorado, the avalanche have a great fan base. They're a lot stronger than I thought. So does Tampa, Tampa of all places in the world in Florida, Tampa Bay, Florida, um, Tampa Bay, Florida is a hockey town of all things. Um, they, they get a lot of fans in that arena uh, for a hockey game in the middle of June in Tampa Bay. It's not something you really expect. You'd think it to be more of a, even a baseball, a, a baseball, a baseball town, but you know, God knows nobody wants to go to that stadium. No offense to the Ray. Well, I, actually offense. Okay. F offense. Uh, take this offense. Rays. If anybody's listening to me from the Rays organization, get a new stadium. Tropicana field is the ugliest stadium in the world. It is terrible. It's oh, it's worse than the Coliseum in Oakland. Please get a different stadium. There's a reason nobody wants to go to the Rays games. It's because you got a terrible stadium that nobody wants to go to. 
Spoiler alert. There's a reason Tampa Bay people from Tampa Bay want to go to hockey games because it's a it's an infinitely nicer stadium than the Rays stadium is. So put that into put that into your brain box. All right, Rays fans, you get a terrible stadium. I apologize, but it's pretty brutal. It's an awful stadium. And you know what? Props to Lightning fans in Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, Florida, where it's probably 90 degrees right now. They're prepping themselves for a hockey game in the middle of June, and it is a hockey town in Tampa Bay for whatever reason. And, well, I mean, not really for whatever reason. They're back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. It'd be easy to root for a team that just won two, two straight championships. So not really for any reason. They're a great hockey town, though. They always have a ton of people go out to their games. And, um, you know, obviously, for good reason. This is a fun team to watch. And... Um, We'll see what happens. Game four, that's on Wednesday, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, so 6 o'clock, Sheridan time. And uh, keep an eye out on that. Maybe we'll see the, we could possibly see the Avalanche win in five back in Denver, or this could go to seven thanks to the Lightning, or this could go to six or whatever. We'll see what happens. It'll be interesting to watch, especially with how the Lightning kind of played last series as well. Um, some minor news, not really minor, but uh, some some more Distant news, I guess, is what we could say. We got a uh, a list of the host cities for the 2026 World Cup that is coming in North America. So not this upcoming, not this upcoming World Cup that's coming in 2022. Obviously, in just a few months, the one after that is coming to North America, and those cities are, um, well, I guess the stadiums too: MetLife Stadium in New York, AT and T Stadium in Dallas, Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta, uh, SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, Lincoln Financial Field in Philly. San Francisco, Levi Stadium, uh, NRG Stadium in Houston, Lumen Field uh, in Seattle, Hard Rock Stadium in, in Miami, Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, Boston uh, has Gillette Stadium, Toronto, BMO Field, Vancouver, BC Place, Mexico City, Estadio Azteca, uh, Guadalajara has Estadio Akron, and then Monterey has Estadio BBVA. So a bunch of stadiums coming uh coming to are going to be hosting a world cup game in North America. That's in 2026. So if you haven't watched world cup, soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, watch If you really want to try to get into soccer slash football, watch the world cup. The, even this most recent one that's coming up in 2022 in Qatar, it's a little bit weirder in Qatar because it is in the winter. So it's not like it doesn't really feel as important as a world cup should. If that makes sense, it is kind of a seasonal event. In my opinion, anyways, it could just be different for everybody else. Um, but if you're looking to just kind of get into football, there's nothing better than the World Cup. It's the best uh, event for soccer slash football that there is. It happens every four years, like the Olympics or the Summer Olympics, if you will. Um, and it's just a ton of fun to watch. They're always good teams. They're not, you know, not every team is a good team, but there's always good teams dominating the field. The U.S. team should be. You know, solid. Even this upcoming season, uh, even this upcoming World Cup in Qatar should be pretty good. They're not uh, gonna. I don't think they're gonna compete with like the likes of France or uh, Belgium or Brazil or anything like that, or even England. Who England's even in their group? Um, I don't think they're gonna compete with the likes of those teams. But they could be just kind of a middle of the pack team that kind of makes some noise in the group stage and then maybe knock somebody out in the in the round of thirty two or the round of sixteen or something like that. And then uh, maybe he makes a Cinderella story, if you will, into you know, the final or the semifinal or something. But I don't see them beating like a France or an England or a Germany or, you know, a Brazil or anything like that. I, I don't think they're good enough for that. But by 2026, it's possible they're basically at home. It's possible they could maybe pull off some upsets and get into the final. You never know. 
that is, you know, four years down the line. So anything's possible from here until then. Um, they could also be terrible. So I hope not, but that's also very possible. And they are the host city, I believe, technically, because they're, I, I don't know exactly how it works, but I believe because it's North America is hosting the World Cup of 2026, I believe Canada, I believe the U.S., and I believe Mexico all have automatic qualifiers for the 2026 World Cup. I have to look that up. I don't 100% know if that's for sure, but I believe that is correct. I believe Canada, uh, the U.S., and Mexico will all have automatic qualifiers since they're hosting the World Cup in 2026. So if you're not going to watch it this year, watch it the summer of 2026. It'll be fun. Um, It's a perfect summer sport to kind of watch. And most of the time they have it in just afternoon games. So throw it on on like a Saturday at like 11 or like noon or 1 PM and you're done in an hour and a half. That's the great thing about soccer. It's almost exactly an hour and a half, no matter what an hour and a half hour, 45 minutes, throw in, you know, halftime or whatever, um, hour, 45 minutes, two hours tops, two hours tops. You're in and out of there in two hours. You don't have to worry about it. It's not like baseball where you're buying a ticket and you're probably, you're either going to sit there for three hours or you're going to sit there for four and a half hours. It just depends on how the game is going. Soccer, hour and a half to two hours tops. Easy peasy. You're in and out. No problem. You can schedule dinner. Hey, I got a soccer game. I got to go to at 4, 4 p.m. And then I'll be ready for dinner at six o'clock. You can write that down in pen and you'll be good to go. No problems. That's the great thing about soccer. Um, moving on. That is the uh, World Cup host cities. Those are coming up 2026 for the um, for uh, North America. So keep an eye on that. Moving on to Omaha. The College World Series is still going on, and it has been a story of upsets in the College World Series. Number 14 shocked. Number 14 Auburn shocked. Number 2 Stanford. Uh, while Ole Miss, the underdog story, continues at the College World Series. Uh, it is heating up. In Omaha, two teams from the uh, from the final eight are already eliminated. Number fourteen Auburn took out number two Stanford six to two, eliminating the top ranked team at the World Series. And a few hours later, just a few hours later, Ole Miss continued their magical run with a win over Arkansas thirteen to five. Only six teams are still alive, three from each bracket, with more elimination games are on the way. Um, ranked teams that are completely out. It was Notre Dame that shocked uh, number one Tennessee in the Super Regional. Tennessee was like fifty eight and six or something. When they came into that Super Regional and Notre Dame knocked them out in two out of three games and um, they made it to the College World Series. And now only two more ranked teams remain, 14th ranked Auburn and 5th ranked Texas A&M. A&M has already suffered a loss at the hands of Oklahoma and uh, Auburn has also suffered a loss um, in the uh, in the College World Series as well. Oklahoma is undefeated. They have not suffered a loss yet. And Ole Miss, also unranked, has not suffered a loss yet. So it's an interesting, uh, interesting College World Series. It kind of feels like it's up to anyone. It's completely up in the air. Um, let's look at the betting odds for these guys. So right now, looking at a couple of the sports books, um, the underdogs that kind of came into this, you know, they were on rank. They had to do a couple upsets upsets to get here. They're kind of the favorites right now, depending on which sports book you're looking at. Uh, Ole Miss is plus 145 to win it, uh, according to DraftKings. According to FanDuel, they're plus 130. And according to Caesars, they're plus 150. Oklahoma uh, second on that list, they're at plus 175, according to DraftKings, plus 160, according to FanDuel, and plus 175 on Caesars as well. And then way down the list, um, next on that list is uh, is Arkansas. They're plus 1,000, according to DraftKings, plus 1,200, according to FanDuel, and plus 900 on Caesars Sportsbook. So uh, those two teams without the loss, Ole Miss and Oklahoma, are the favorites, obviously. 
Arkansas has that one loss, and uh, they're basically one loss away from being bounced, and uh, as well as the other teams on this list as well. So A&M, one loss away from being bounced. Um, Auburn, one loss away being away from bounced as well, even though they beat Stanford. And then Notre Dame, one loss away from being bounced as well. Um, or excuse me, one, Notre Dame has already been bounced. Apologies. Notre Dame has already been bounced. So there's a couple teams still left. Um, and Ole Miss and Oklahoma, the two, like I said, underdogs that kind of came into this uh, came into this tournament as, you know, not the betting favorites, if you will, uh, are now the betting favorites to win this thing. So it's been an interesting and fun College World Series. It really does feel like it is completely up in the air. It's really anybody's game. Any of these teams can win this, win this, uh, win this World Series. And uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, it's been fun so far. It's been, there have been a, quite a bit of blowouts, I would say. Not really a ton of... Uh, very interesting games, if you will. Um, but for the most part, the the underdogs are winning. And if you like underdog stories, then watch this College World Series because it has been an underdog galore. the The next games are, um, I believe, they're today. The most the one that's coming up most recently, it'll be Auburn on uh, Tuesday taking on Arkansas. And I believe the loser of that game is eliminated. And then, um, and then we have games on third on Wednesday as well. Um, so continue throughout the week, basically. So stay tuned to that. We'll see what underdog or if a favorite comes out of nowhere and wins that, but, uh, let's cheer for an underdog. Say, huh? How about that? Uh, let's move on here. We've got another, uh, interesting, we'll talk more baseball here. I think we're going to move on to a little bit more baseball. Another interesting thing happened baseball was kind of filled with a bunch of weird things that happened over the week. Um, we had, this was last week. Uh, I believe it was, what was the 14th? This is exactly a week ago. So Tuesday, last Tuesday, we had a uh, no-no come to one out away from being completed by Miles Mikolas. Uh, Mikolas, I don't know how you say his last name. I can't remember. But uh, Cardinals pitcher Miles Mikolas goes eight and two-thirds innings before he gives up a two-out double to lose the no-hitter. Uh, no hitter, excuse me. He took a no-hitter through 26 outs against the Pirates on Tuesday night and then ended Michaelis had six strikeouts and a shot at the Cards' first no-no since 2001 before Pittsburgh's uh, Cal Mitchell's uh, played spoiler with a two-out double. The fly ball in center field just missed the outstretched glove of Harrison Bader. Bader, one of the best outfielders, uh, center fielders in the league, probably the best center fielder in the league defensively. So if it wasn't going to get in his glove, it's probably not going to get in anybody's glove. Uh, St. Louis did end up winning the game, obviously, by a landslide, but it was an oh-so-close moment. On the mound for Nicholas, he threw 129 pitches before the breakup. Packy Naughton came on. Packy, wow, that's a that's an old school name. Packy Naughton came on for the final outs for the Cardinals. So that happened on Tuesday. Then on Monday, excuse me, Tuesday, on Wednesday, man, I don't know where I am. On Wednesday, Dodgers pitcher Tyler Anderson Anderson tossed an eight inning and eight and one third inning no hit uh, no hit innings before Shohei Otani hit a triple. Um, it was one night after Miles Michaelis obviously lost his no-hitter with two outs in the ninth inning for the Cardinals. Another ninth-inning blunder occurred in the battle for Los Angeles. Uh, the Dodgers rode the arm of Tyler Anderson through 25 outs, eight and a third innings before Shohei Otani smacked a triple to the right field wall. That's back to it was back-to-back nights on no-hitter watch before a heartbreaking finish. The Dodgers went on to beat the Angels four to one. Anderson still remains unbeaten. Eight starts this season. He's eight no, but for uh, but the next no no of 2022, we'll have to wait for another. Day. So we had back-to-back nights where no hitters came in the eighth inning, came into the eighth inning, and then were spoiled in the uh, in, in the ninth inning. They finished through the eighth inning, and then they lost in the ninth. Or they lost them in the ninth inning. It was really weird. I don't think I could remember seeing that on back-to-back nights. That was pretty pretty interesting. But again, 
the no hitter has kind of become, um, um, maybe, uh, not, not, not invaluable. It's still very cool to see it done, but maybe not as, uh, not as potent of an achievement, if that makes sense, because of the way baseball is kind of played now, um, with the three true outcomes, the walk, the strikeout or the home run, that sort of thing. Uh, nobody pays more attention to extra, extra base hit, base hits or home runs or that sort of thing than baseball teams. And now they're doing it more than ever. And if you're not going to hit an extra base hit, you're going to strike out or you're going to pop out or you're going to ground out or whatever. And uh, that's kind of the way baseball's played now. So there have been a lot more no hitters. I remember, I think it was last year, there were like 15 to 17 no hitters or something like that. It was a lot. It was a lot of no hitters. And everybody was like, this is what, this is what no hitters are now. We're just going to, do one every other week, and that's kind of what it felt like. So now they've they kind of been dumbed down a little bit on the streak. A perfect game hasn't been done since um, Felix Hernandez, and that was in, I think, that was easily 10 years ago um, when he did it for Seattle. So those, we're still waiting for a perfect game. We haven't had one in forever. Um, so that is still very, that that is still something that is a drastic achievement. If you don't walk anybody or let anybody on base, a perfect game is pretty incredible. Um, anyways, that's the no-hitter. Two out, we were two outs and one out away from a no hitter, um, and they got blown. So another thing that happened that's even more rare than the no hitter, uh, the almost no hitter that we had last week, and this was on the same day that Tyler Anderson had his no hitter broken up last Wednesday. Um, it was baffling. We had two immaculate innings in the same game, two in the same game. Not only that, they were two of the same hitters. So the rain, the uh, the Astros, the Astros had uh, Luis Garcia on the mound starting against the Rangers, and in the bottom of the second inning, he got Nathaniel Lowe out on a strikeout, three pitch strikeout. And he got Ezekiel Duran three pitch strikeout, and then he got Brad Miller on a three pitch strikeout, nine pitches, three strikeouts, an immaculate inning in the bottom of the second. Then in the bottom of the seventh inning, bottom of the seventh inning, Phil Maton comes on. For Luis Garcia, Garcia of the Astros with Nathaniel Lowe up, Ezekiel Duran, and Brad Miller. Brad Miller coming up. And guess what happens? Guess what happens? Nathaniel Lowe strikes out three pitches. Ezekiel Duran strikes out three pitches. Brad Miller strikes out and three pitches. Another immaculating nine pitches, three strikeouts to the same batters. Four innings later to the same batters. They did it twice in one game. I'd never seen it before in my entire life. And it, uh, it was incredible. And according to Sarah Langs on Twitter, it is the first time on record there have been two immaculate innings on a single calendar le- calendar date, let alone in the same game or by the same team and to the same three batters. It is something that has never happened, and it happened last Wednesday, and it'll never happen again. It was truly incredible. I'd never seen anything like it, and uh, it probably will never happen again. It hasn't happened, and it will never happen again. And uh, there you go. You got... Uh, it was it was mind numbing. It was mind blowing and mind numbing. First to be a Texas Rangers fan and watch your three the three top hitters on your team, the one two three guys get um, struck out like that in three pitches. Get struck out like that, and then um, I guess they're not the one one two three guys. Sorry, but your your one two three at the beginning of the lineup or at the beginning of the inning um, strike out in three pitches three times. You know, three times and then do it twice. It was, uh, it's mind numbing. It's crazy. I couldn't believe what I saw. And, uh, yeah, it it was, it was fun. I mean, you know, baseball, there's baseball for you. We had a day where a no hitter was broken up and the, it wasn't even the coolest thing that had happened that day. It was the fact that there were two immaculate innings thrown in one game on the same team to the same three batters. Baseball, man. Who doesn't love baseball? Okay. 
that was baseball. Those were some of the weird storylines we got from the past week in baseball. Uh, moving on, we're going to kind of wrap up with this. Um, this is kind of a and kind of a dark thing to wrap up on, but we're going to wrap up on it regardless. Um, I'm going to update you on the uh, the Deshaun Watson case that is going on. Um, it's still going on, even though he's on the Browns now. He got that, that huge deal. We had that, me and Mallory sat down. Uh, I believe that was man, maybe a couple months ago where we sat down and kind of talked about this a little bit more. So I'm not going to get too into detail about the actual cases because um, we kind of talked about that a few months ago. Please go listen to that podcast if you haven't listened to it. Um, but we're kind of waning down into what the NFL is expected to do um, to Deshaun Watson now that uh, the actual criminal cases uh, concluded. The civil cases are still going on, but the criminal cases is, is kind of concluded. The NFL kind of launched their own uh, it's they're they launched their own investigation um, into Deshaun Watson and the league is reportedly going to argue that the quarterback should receive a significant suspension for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy per the Washington Post. A source close to the Watson side said that the NFL probably will go with a one season suspension per the post. However, a different source close to the NFL side of the case said to be careful without about a specific suspension length, but that the punishment will be significant so the nfl is kind of acting feels like they're kind of going to follow the same path that the mlb did when it kind of came down on trevor bauer where they kind of just suspended him until the investigation was done and then once the investigation was done and that suit was settled with trevor bauer's case um the mlb was like look we're we're suspending you for three years three i believe it was it was like it was like 400 games or something like that. basically three full regular seasons of baseball. Trevor Bauer got suspended for, and um, it kind of looks like the NFL, according to this report from the Washington Post, kind of feels like the NFL is looking to kind of go down that path as well. Now, something that did happen as of today, today being Tuesday of recording this, uh, 20 of those 24 active civil lawsuits were settled. But again, as you if you listen to the podcast that we put together that I put together with Mallory about this, that was kind of expected. Um, these can kind of these suits are dragged on forever. And, you know, if you're the women in this case, you kind of just want it to be done because you're reliving a very traumatic point in your life and a very traumatic event in your life over and over and over again until eventually. And God knows how long that'll be. It is finally um, it is finally, you know dealt with if that makes sense and then um, you know most of the time they just were like look just settle with me and we can i can be done with this i don't want to be in the spotlight for this sort of thing and it you know i can't blame for that at all period uh, that's an incredible they're, what they're doing is incredibly brave and um it's i can't imagine the pressures that they're going through uh all, all of them all 24 of them and um you know we'll see what happens for the rest of this now um, the terms are the terms that are coming down per the Washington Post are similar to what Thursday report Thursday's report from Pro Football Talk on the NFLPA's expected expectation that the league will recommend an unprecedented punishment. So the NFL the NFL's uh, Players Association is basically preparing themselves because when uh, if Deshaun Watson is suspended for a significant amount of time, it's basically the Players Association's duty to uh, sue back or challenge the ruling in order for them to uh, make sure Deshaun Watson is staying on the field because it's the players association. It's a union. Obviously you're going to defend, defend uh, one of the people in your union for what they're doing, regardless of how they feel. It's just an, a lawyer basically. And they're going to 
according to this uh, report from Pro Pro Football Talk, it looks like the uh, the um, Players Association is going to target some of the owners, um, so the NFL's owners that didn't face any uh, didn't face any uh, suspension or um, you know punishment for their situation. There, the three owners that they're going to go after is Daniel Snyder, and everybody kind of knows the disaster that is the Washington Commanders and Daniel Snyder. Um, Snyder. Basically, in July of 2021, Snyder agreed to temporarily cede control of the team to his wife, Tanya, in wake of the widespread controversy surrounding the franchise of which he was at the center. And so the NFLPA is going to be like, well, wait a minute, look at this guy. He's still technically he's not, you know, in full control of the team anymore. His wife, Tanya, is, but he's still, you know, he hasn't been involved in the day to day operations, as it's said. But, you know, it's all smoke and mirrors at this point um, that organization and the NFL in general is kind of it's kind of been a disaster um for the NFL and the Washington Commanders has really put a black eye on this team and rightfully so Daniel Snyder does not deserve to be running a professional sports franchise I wish he wasn't um that's a whole other story for another day um another owner that they're going to go after Robert Kraft Patriots owner did not receive a punishment in that alleged prostitution case he was charged he was charged with solicitation um, however, the charges were dropped given that the video violated individuals' rights to privacy after it was secretly recorded. Um, that's another one they're going to go after. And then Jerry Jones is the other one. The league did not investigate the voyeurism scandal that involved Richard uh, Dalrymp- Dalrymple, excuse me if I'm saying that wrong, Dallas's longtime senior vice president for public relations and communications. Um, he's got uh, allegations against him. And so the PA is going to, you know, they're just going to say, are we apples to oranges or are we not? Are we apples to apples? That's basically what they're going to try to do if this suspension does come down or, a you know, an unprecedented suspension uh, punishment does come down for Deshaun Watson. That's basically where we're at. Uh, we're still waiting on the suspension or the punishment that the NFL is going to come down with after they've concluded they've concluded with their uh, with their investigation. So uh, we'll see what happens there. It still kind of feels like it's, a uh, you know, just a, an annoying process that the NFL has just kind of. Messed up, I get. I mean, they really just, I the NFL itself, I wouldn't say has really floundered this, but I will say that the organizations around the NFL have kind of floundered it, especially the Browns, obviously. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Live Golf and the moral compass that we kind of are able to put on hold depending on what we're looking at. And that's another one of these examples where the Browns ownership, the GMs or something, it's how far are you willing to go and how far are you willing to push your moral compass for, you know, money or in this case, if you're the Browns glory, you know, you're getting regardless of who Deshaun Watson is or whoever, whatever Deshaun Watson is on the off, off on off the field. Um, he is a, top 10 quarterback when he plays in the league that is you know uh, that is without without a doubt so um how far are you willing like what are you willing to sacrifice in order to in order to grab one of uh, an asset in a league where assets like this don't just regularly fall into your lap like Sean Watson basically did for the um for the Cleveland Browns so this is just another one of those occasions sports has a very interesting moral compass and a moral complex when it comes to these sort of things, especially the owners, the general managers. And now we're kind of having to ask the fans of these teams, the same question. Uh, 
if you're a Browns fan, how far are you willing to push your moral compass away from this situation and just say, look, I'm here for the football. You know what I mean? Like, regardless of off-the-field actions, Sean Watson's a fantastic quarterback, and he's going to make that Browns team better. Period. If he does play, he's going to make that Browns team better. Um, so as a fan, you kind of have to ask yourself, is it worth it? You know, am I, is it worth sacrificing my own morals for a possible chance at a Super Bowl? That's the question the Browns fans are going to have to ask. And, you know, uh, Browns leadership and, you know, uh, just fans of the team. That's unfortunately where we are in today's world. Um, but anyways, sorry, we're rambling here. I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, that's going to conclude the show. I just thought I would update you on that situation. We still don't have a suspension or a punishment or anything like that, but it, it does look like it is coming around the corner. Um, and then we'll see more than likely the NFL Players Association kind of fight back on that on that uh, on that punishment. And uh, we'll see uh, what the the final gavel says, uh, you know, what is put down on the final gavel here probably in a few weeks to come. So that is going to conclude the show. I want to thank you very much for tuning in to this week's Weekend Sports Wrap podcast. I've been your host, James Timberlake. Please Remember to uh, like, subscribe, leave a rating if you wouldn't mind, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, just leave a like, leave a rating. Helps me out a bunch. And uh, yeah, big thank you to all those listening, all those listening. And uh, I will see you next week.